they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Actually, I'm sitting in for Mary Danielle. She's doing the babysitting, and I'm here to do this Bible with the Barbers. And it's going to be an interesting show. And the reason is, is we're going to continue uh, working with the precepts of the church. We did the Ten Commandments biblically. Talk about the precepts of the church. Um, we're going to cover some uh, some uh, paragraphs in the Catechism that relate to some practical things about sin. And um, I'm also going to take a section from Bishop Snyder's book about a question uh, regarding prayer. What is prayer? So we've got a full schedule ahead of us, and I think you're going to enjoy every minute of it. Well, let's go ahead and start with the prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, we ask you to give us an insight to your word and to what you teach through your church, that we all may be fervent in that teaching and not afraid to share it with anyone. All right, the precepts of the church. My wife last week covered the remaining commandments. I think she did five through ten. And this is just fundamental stuff, biblical teachings from the commandments. But I think it's important. We don't hear enough of these things like the precepts of the church. So what are some duties expected of Catholic Christians today? When was the last time you were told about your duties as a Catholic? Probably a long time. That's why I'm doing it. Some duties expected of the Catholic Christian today include following those traditionally mentioned as the precepts of the church are marked. So to keep holy the day of the Lord's resurrection, to worship God by participating in every Mass, and Holy Day of Obligation. For us this week, we have Holy Thursday because we have the Anglican Ordinariate. <clears throat> We're going to celebrate the Ascension Thursday on Ascension Thursday. Imagine that. But, you know, the church in the West says, oh, we can just do it on the closest Sunday, which is they, um, which we do. Now, to avoid these activities, would it would um, hinder renewal of the soul and body. So you stay focused. Number two, to lead a sacramental Life. What a novel idea. That's a precept of the church. Haven't heard that one in a long time. How about this? To receive Holy Communion frequently and the sacrament of penance regularly? I hope your priest is telling you that because that's the meat and potatoes of the Catholic faith. Minimally, you should receive the sacrament of penance at least once a year. Annual confession is obligatory only if serious sin is involved. If you can go for a full year without serious sin, wow. You must be visiting Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament, praying your rosary, doing an examination of conscience every day. It's pretty good. Minimally, you receive Holy Communion at least once a year at Easter time. That is between the first Sunday of Lent and Trinity Sunday. For a good reason, the precept may be fulfilled at another time during the year. This is a big one because it's Bible with the Barbers. To study Catholic teachings in preparation for the Sacrament of Confirmation, to be confirmed, and then to continue to study and advance the cause of Christ. That's an obligation we have. That's a precept. We're supposed to share the gospel. That's what I wrote the book, How to Share Your Faith with Anyone, and 
I would recommend after 10 or 12 years, still a bestseller. You can go to our website, um, virginvmpr.org to get a copy of that. I think it's $10. Number five, to strengthen and support the church, one's own parish, community, and parish priests, worldwide church, and the Holy Father. Another one, to observe the marriage laws of the church, to give religious training by example and word to one's children. Now, this is so important, folks, that mom and dad are the first teachers of the faith. And I think sometimes we think, oh, well, the church will t- fill in, father will fill in, sister will fill in, a layperson teaches a Tuesday night uh, you know, uh, religious ed for my kids. No, mom and dad need to take a hold of that because unfortunately today in the churches that we have, there are a lot of watered-down teachings. So you have to take it by yourself and do it. To Another one, to strengthen and support the church. We wrote that one. One's own parish, right? To do penance. Remember, Our Lady of Fatima said this, souls are going to hell because no one is there to make prayer and penance, to pray for them. And this is a very biblical verse because what Our Lady is referring to is uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. I fill up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the good of the church. So this whole idea of praying and offering up our sacrifices for Holy Mother the Church is incredibly important. Doing penance, I mean, that's part of being a Catholic. So one of the things I've mentioned, and this is great advice from uh, one of the great saints, Jose Maria Escobar, founder of Opus Dei, he said even when you go to a meal, walk away from each meal saying no to yourself. In other words, I want another helping of those potatoes. Nope, I'm going to say no and offer that up for the salvation of the soul. This is something that many people aren't being told to do. And it's incredible because if you haven't got a disciplined life and you just keep indulging yourself, You'll never be able to say no to sin because you if it feels good, I'm going to do it. Now, it's important that penance becomes part of everyday life. Fulton Sheen said it, without Good Friday, there's no Easter Sunday. Now, this is one that I put out, many people don't realize, to join in the missionary spirit, the apostle of the church. Yeah, you are part of the new evangelization to get out and share your faith with people at work, at home, wherever. And I think it's important to highlight one of the great sacraments, penance. So what is this sacrament of penance, or some people call it reconciliation? Penance or reconciliation is the sacrament by which sin committed after baptism are forgiven through the absolution of the priest, The priest has the power to forgive sins from Jesus Christ, who said to his apostles and to their successors in the priesthood, Receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you shall forgive, they are forgiven them, and whose sins you shall retain, they are retained. This is the Gospel of John. Make a note, chapter 20, 22 to 23. I always ask young people a question. Do you know where in the Bible it says you should go to confession? In other words, no. I'm in a confession line, and I see young people. I say, open your Bible to John 20. 
And I read it, just what I just read. And they said, I didn't know that. I said, you know, it's unfortunate, my friend. You're not unusual. A lot of young people have never been taught that the Catholic Church is a biblical church. So this is important for us. John 20, 22 to 23, just like John 6 is the Holy Eucharist. We need to know our Bible well. So when people ask questions, we can say, hey, would you mind open up your Bible? Let's open up here. Let's read the book of James. So uh, whatever you need, if you need a cheat sheet, we do have those. Just email us at vmpr.org and we can electronically <coughs> send you a cheat sheet with about 160 biblical verses that I think will help you have a biblical view of the world and of your faith. And I know this sounds funny, but what is mortal sin? Yes, we, do. we need to go back to that. Mortal sin is committed when one disobeys the law of God in a grievous matter. And here it comes with full knowledge and deliberate consent. This sin is called mortal because it removes the life of grace from the soul, rendering us enemies of God and merits for us to pains of hell. People say, well, nobody goes to hell. That's not what the Bible says. Remember, you only value in saying yes, you have the freedom to say no. So if one has had the misfortune of committing a mortal sin, he must make an act of contrition, confess himself and take the necessary means to avoid sinning again. Take care that you are always in the state of grace. This is, we always, you know, Col Colossians chapter 1, verse 11, 28. Jesse and I end our shows, what state should you be living in? The state of grace. That's a very biblical teaching. So, and do not follow those who, on the pretext of writing the conscience of useless anxieties and troublesome scruples, try to persuade you that there is no need to be in the state of grace before receiving Holy Communion or in order to live an honest Christian. You know who said that? St. Paul VI, May 26, 1971. See, even back then, there was this poo-poo of mortal sin right after the council. I call it the misrepresentation of Vatican II. People say, oh, Vatican II. No, read the documents, and then you hear people talk about the spirit of Vatican II. Well, the spirit of Vatican II is not Vatican II. Because I hear people say, oh, Vatican II says there's no purgatory now. Oh, Vatican II says this. Excuse me, could you point out what document and where that says it? Oh, well, that's what I heard. Well, I heard it's going to rain next Tuesday, too. Does that mean it's going to rain? No. The point of it is, we got to get our ducks lined up when people make these statements. Now, I'm going to talk when we come back what venial sin is and what sins are obliged to be confessed. This is all stuff that we should have learned years ago. But you know what I've noticed in my 43 years of apostolic work? The fundamentals were never taught to young people. Young people became adults, and they never got it. So many people who are adults, they might know calculus, and they might know history, but many of them don't know their faith. So that's why I go back to the basics here at the Bible with the Barber. So when we come back, we'll talk about some more basic biblical teachings about our Catholic faith. And uh, this is Terry... This is Terry with the Bible with the Barbers. We'll be coming right back after a quick, quick break. And thank you for listening, and I hope you're learning about our Catholic faith. Stay with us, family.
Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back to the Bible with the Barbers. You're going to say, Terry, you're talking such basic stuff. Well, honestly, how many people do you know who are adults who never got a good formation on the Catholic faith? Raise your hand. I do. For 43 years, I've been hearing that over and over again. It's because we've had a lack of catechesis. That's why I'm so grateful Fulton Sheen said it back in the 70s that the church will come out with a catechism because it lacks a catechism right now, and, it, and the people are not being taught the faith, and it will come out. And what happened in 1985 at the Extraordinary uh, Senate? The bishop said, we need a catechism. I thought Fulton Sheen was about 12 years ahead of himself. And in 93, it took all that time. We've got one. But I want to cover some biblical teachings on venial sin. And again, you know, the Bible says there are sins that kill and there are sins that don't. So what is a venial sin? A venial sin is committed when one disobeys the law of God in a less serious matter or even in a grievous matter without full knowledge and deliberate consent of the will. Venial sin does not destroy the life of grace but is an offense to God, and it weakens our friendship with him. It also disposes us to mortal sin and merits for us some temporal punishment, either in this life or in the next. And can I tell you what the saints have said? Take your temporal punishment now. It's going to be a lot better and easier to do it now than in the next world. So which sins are we obliged to confess? Again, when was the last time you had someone tell you that? Decades, right? If, if ever. So we are obliged to confess all our mortal sins, telling their kind, their number of times we've committed each sin and the circumstances changing their nature. It is not necessary to confess our venial sins, but it is well to do so. And that's very much what St. John Paul II, the great, said. We call that devotional confession. Because some people say, get, you know, I went to confession, Father scolded me, he said, get out of here. And uh, St. John Paul II would have said, Father, please, let them go to confession, even if it's a devotional confession, maybe they didn't have mortal sin, but imperfections that they're working on. This is so important. So when a priest tells you, get out of here, point out that St. John Paul II had recommended devotional confession. So please, you know, um, don't scold me for that. Next one, why is it well to confess venial sins? Great question. Venial sins may be expiated in many ways, which are to be highly commended. But to ensure more rapid progress day by day in the path of virtue, we will that the pious practice of frequent confession which was introduced into the church by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit should be earnestly advocated by its genuine self-knowledge is increased. That's right, self-examination. Christian humility grows. Bad habits are corrected. Spiritual neglect. Tepidity are resisted. The conscience is purified the will is strengthened, a salutary self-control is obtained, and the grace to increase in the virtue of sacrament itself. 
This is a Pope Pius XII encyclical that I just quoted, The Mystical Body of Christ. So that's why we need to be going to confession. I'm going to say what Padre Peel said, what St. John Paul II said, go to confession at least once a month. That's not too much. Some people I know go once a week. Not a bad idea, but at least once a month, maybe every other week, because you need those graces of the sacrament. Think of what we're up against in the world. Um, you know, pornography is so prevalent, it's, it's the number one uh, YouTube website. I won't say the name of it, but I just read that in the Internet that they have more views than Walmart or any of the others. It's, it's pornography. Why? Because it's so easy to get to. And this is why going to confession is so important because we're living in a world of temptation. Big time. Never before has it been like this. All right. I'm going to say something now. You're going to go, Terry, I know what Holy Communion is. All right. See if you learn something here. Holy Communion is the receiving of the body, blood of Christ, right? Under the appearance of bread and wine. Do you notice when I said the appearance of bread and wine? If you ever hear a song in church that says Jesus is in the bread and in the wine, wrong. That's Lutheranism. And, but they sing it all the time in Catholic churches. Again, we have to be precise with our language. Now the question is, how often should we receive Holy Communion? The Church obliges us to receive Holy Communion at least once a year during Easter time. However, we are encouraged to receive the body, blood of our Lord frequently, daily if possible. The faithful are earnestly exhorted to receive Holy Communion on these days. Sundays and feast days, and indeed more frequently. Yes, even daily. So you got to remember, it was only a hundred years ago, a little over a hundred years ago, that people didn't receive Holy Communion every day. St. Therese of the Little Flower, she got special permission to receive Holy Communion often. And it was, I think, Pope Pius X who changed it around the turn of the century. And he thought this would be good to give the graces to people. But what has happened, unfortunately, is we haven't taken it seriously. It's almost like, well, I go to McDonald's to get my breakfast, so but I don't think much about it. So I think that when we go to Holy Communion, it's a good principle to think this might be our last time on planet Earth to receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. And we have to thank God each time as a way of saying, it's our last time. So what are some of the effects of Holy Communion in our lives? Great question. When Holy Communion has been received with faith and proper disposition, it has a great influence on our daily lives. And so everyone who has participated in Mass, we should be eager to do good works and what, what to please God and to live honestly devoting to the church, putting into practice what we have learned, and growing in piety. We will seek to fill the world with the Spirit of Christ and in all things in the very midst of human affairs to become a witness of Christ. That is so beautiful, he stated. This was from the Instruction on the Worship of Eucharistic Mystery, number 13, from the church. Another good question. 
what are some of the proper dispositions necessary to receiving Holy Communion worthily? Uh, that's a great question right now because Archbishop Cordelion just came out on Friday and said, Nancy Pelosi, you can't receive Holy Communion as long as you're for killing innocent life through abortion. Actually, that, that applies to all of us. If we believe abortion is, should be legal and, and we support it by our voting and by our support, that removes us from being able to receive Holy Communion because, well, number one, thou shalt not murder. And, you know, thou shalt not kill is innocent life. And so we can't be receiving Holy Communion when we're in the state of mortal sin, objectively. So keeping ourselves... Okay, first of all, we must be in the state of grace that is free from mortal sin. Now, we know that. That is so important. Really, really important. Now, I want to read... Uh, not from this. I want to just share with you that the Catholic Church recognizes... Uh, seven sacraments. Of them, the Eucharist stands apart. St. Thomas Aquinas calls the sacrament of sacraments. That's why Vatican II calls the Eucharist the source and summit of the Christian life. The Eucharist, are you ready? Uh, the Eucharist is the real presence of Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity, as I said, under the appearance of bread and wine. We also use the Eucharist term we call Holy Communion. Communion comes from the Latin word communio, which means to be in union with. According to the Catholic Church of the Catechism, the Catholic Church, the Church refers to the Eucharist by this name because by this sacrament we reunite ourselves to Christ who makes us sharers in his body and blood in the form of a single body. That's paragraph 1331. Now the Church teaches that anyone who receives Jesus and the Holy Eucharist also receives a pledge of glory with him. Again, that's paragraph 1419 in the Catechism. So the Catechism saying that participating in the Eucharist identifies us with his heart and sustains our strength along the pilgrimage of this life and makes us holy. The Church also teaches that receiving the Holy Eucharist increases the communion of union with our Lord, and it forgives venial sin. Have you heard that one? It's right in the Catechism. And preserves him from grave sins. That's paragraph 1416. These are all biblical teachings, and the Catechism gives us those references. So receiving the Holy Eucharist can transform one's spiritual life. That's why Pope Francis said in his apostolic exhortation, Evangelii Guardium, the Eucharist is not a prize for the perfect, but a powerful medicine and nourishment for the weak. At the same time, the church draws on the words of Scripture in setting forth requirements to receive the Holy Communion. And as the St. Paul tells us, this is right from Corinthians chapter 1, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of our Lord. Let us let a man examine himself and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats, drinks, judgment upon himself. Now that's what Bishop Cordelione is sharing with Nancy Pelosi and it shares with all the people, whether it's uh, President Joseph Biden, Catholic in name, he receives Holy Communion. I mean, Nancy Pelosi, after Friday, 
said, I, I don't care what the bishop said. I'm receiving communion this weekend. She did. But objectively, that's a mortal sin because she's been told that this is uh, not to be done, and she's doing it out of disobedience. And uh, I feel sorry for her. I, I really have compassion. I want her to get to heaven. But she's not doing the things that you should be doing to get to heaven. So first, one must be in the state of grace. Remember how Jesse and I say, what state should we be living in? The state of grace. To be in the state of grace means to be free from mortal sin. That's as simple as that. The Catechism states that. Anyone aware of having sinned mortally must not receive Holy Communion without going to the sacrament of penance. Nancy, Joe Biden, paragraph 1415, it's real clear. Very clear. So what is mortal sin again? Catechism explains that a mortal sin destroys charity in the heart of man by a grave violation of God's law, turns man away from God. Paragraph 1855. There's much, much more here I'm going to teach when we come back about the Holy Eucharist and a biblical worldview of our Catholic faith. You're listening to The Bible with the Barbers. I'm honored to be with you. This is fundamental teachings that every Catholic should know. We'll be right back after a quick break. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back to the Bible with the Barbers. Mary will be back next week. And I just wanted to basically give you these fundamental teachings, and I'll tell you why we need these on the Holy Eucharist. Um, if we don't understand what sin is, then we have no barometer of anything we do. I mean, remember, we live in a world that says we can kill unborn babies. I'll never forget what Jesse Romero told me when he was a, a guard in the prisons, and Richard Romero, mass meat, mass murderer, said to Jesse, man, you, he said, you know, how can you do this, you know? He says, well, you guys, in you know, your world, we kill babies inside the womb. What's the difference? We kill them outside the womb. And Boy, that shook Jesse. It shook me. Yesterday, Bishop Joseph Strickland, <clears throat> the Strick, Bishop Strickland Hour, you'll hear it next Tuesday after the Terry and Jesse show, he said this, that as long as we can kill unborn babies in the womb, the mass shootings that are going on are just the fruit of saying there's no value in life. And I think you'll agree that so many young people are committing suicide because they have no, no direction in life. And like I said, we need to stop the killing in the womb, which will help us stop the killing outside the womb. So I want to just real clearly make it again, what is a mortal sin? The catechism, the catechism of the Catholic Church explains mortal sin destroys charity in the heart of a man by a grave violation of God's law. It turns away man from God, paragraph 1855. For sin to be mortal or deadly, one must be aware that the act is sinful and conscientiously commits it anyway. Examples of mortal sin include murder, adultery, fornication, homosexual acts, theft, abortion, euthanasia, pornography, taking advantage of the poor. The church teaches that intentionally skipping Mass on Sunday or a holy day of obligation when one is able to attend Mass is a mortal sin. You won't hear that too often, but it's the truth. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because we're living right now where an archbishop came out recently 
with some statements regarding receiving Holy Communion from politicians like Nancy Pelosi, and everybody's going, oh, whoa, whoa, you can't do that. Uh, yes, he can. He has a moral obligation to do that. As a matter of fact, this is something that all of us need to do. We all need to be able to stand for life. And when we don't stand for life, then we're going to be held accountable for that. And I know I've mentioned it many times that, uh, you know, that it's in, you're uncomfortable to speak the truth. But never worry about who will be offended when you speak the truth. Worry about who will be misled and deceived and destroyed if you don't. And I think that's what Bishop Cordelion realized when he came out after agonizing this and trying to work with Nancy Pelosi to tell her, you can't be doing this. And she did it. And she did it in disobedience over the weekend again, even though the, the bishop warned her. And uh, basically, she's beating to her, her own drum. And as I've said before, there's a song they sing in hell. I did it my way. And then there's a song we sing in heaven. I did it his way. Nancy, Joe, all these people who are for killing unborn babies, stop it. We want to see you get to heaven. You are committing objectively a mortal sin. And remember, this is a statement from Pope Felix III. He said, not to oppose error is to approve it. So we have to speak out. Not to defend the truth is to suppress it. And indeed, to neglect to confound evil men when you can do it is no less a sin than to encourage them. That's why we, we are doing this Bible with the Barbers, to give you direction on your faith where we can only, you know, get, we all want to get to heaven. And so now I want to shift gears to the catechism of the Catholic Church. And I want to open up to paragraph 2094, okay? And it's, one can sin against God's loving love in various ways. And I want to show you that this is very biblical in its teaching. Uh, this is Deuteronomy uh, 6, 4 to 5, and chapter 4 and 8, 4 to 8 in Luke. And uh, here it comes. Indifference neglects or refuses to reflect on divine charity. It fails to consider its previent goodness and denies its power. Think about it with an abortion. That's exactly what that does. No charity killing an unborn baby. What about, the paragraph says this, ingratitude fails or refuses to acknowledge divine charity and to return him love for love. Yeah, that's what we're called to. And I like this about lukewarmness. You know, I remember Father Bill Casey did a CD called Lukewarmness, the Scourge of Catholicism. He said, Catholics are so lukewarm. And he's still white, unfortunately. So lukewarmness is a hesitation or neglects in response to divine love. It can imply refusal to give oneself over to the promptings of charity. Again, that comes back to Pope St. Felix III. Not to, not to oppose error is to approve it. So you can't stay quiet for this stuff. Uh, Acedia or spiritual sloth, goes so far to refuse the joy that comes from God and to repel by divine goodness. I mean, you can see what how a person can just say right up front, I don't care what God's law says. I want it done my way. Well, you pay the consequences for that. 
Hatred of God comes from pride. Yeah. Yep. It's contrary to the love of God, whose goodness is denied. This is paragraph 2303. And whom it presumes to curse as one who forbids sin and inflicts punishment. One of the things that many people have been writing to me and they've been concerned about is some persecution in the church and the persecution from outside the church, governments. And I wanted to share something with you that really touched me. The Colonel James Nick Rowe was in the POW camp from 1963 to 1968. That's a whole five years, 60 months of living in a concentration camp, basically. And here's what he said that I think will help you and help me realize that if we do get persecuted where everything's taken away, what he has to say to us is gold. He says, the enemy, which is the communists, will never realize how much I thank them for taking everything materially away from me and reducing me to the point where I didn't have anything but faith in God. I had a chance to look at myself and realize that you can do things you never realized were possible. He did a self-examination of conscience. This is great advice from someone who suffered 60 months at the hands of the communists that we can, they can take everything away, our food, our house, our cars, but they can't take away our faith. So keep that in mind the next time you know, you're, we're thinking about persecution of the church. I also want to bring up another paragraph from the Catechism, and it's really important because we see government taking over everyone's lives. And that goes against what the Catholic Church teaches on paragraph 1883 on socialization also presents a danger. So I think raising your family on a farm away from big cities is good. This is talking about government excessive intervention by the state can threaten personal freedom and initiative like they're doing right now. The teaching of the church has elaborated the principle of subsidiarity. If you haven't heard that term, I'm going to give a definition from the Catechism according to which a community of a higher order should not interfere in the internal life of a community of a lower, lower order, depriving the later of its functions, but rather should support it in the case of need and help to coordinate its activities with activities of the rest of society, always with a view to the common good. See, that's what we should have. Now, that paragraph 1885 says this. You'll like hearing this. The principle of subsidiarity is opposed. We are opposed to all forms of collectivism. It sets limits for the state's intervention. See, the state doesn't, it's not God. So the state can say, oh, yeah, you kill unborn babies. Pooey on that. That's an unjust law. We won't have to go along with that. It aims at harmonizing the relationship between individuals and society. It tends towards the establishment of true international order. So there is another catechism verse that I think we should really remember at times like we're dealing with having a biblical worldview rather than a state view. Open your catechism to paragraph 2094 as we listen to this 
You should have your catechism right next to you. And here's what that says. One can sin against God's love in various ways. Indifference, neglect, or refuses to reflect on divine charity. It fails to consider its prevalent goodness and denies its power. Ingratitude fails or refuses to acknowledge divine charity and return him for love for love. I think of that. We all have had that in my examination of conscience. Yes. I think of that often. I thought of yesterday even. Here at the church, we get a lot of people coming for material goods and spiritual goods. And a woman was out in the front of the church just looking at the church yesterday. And she might be 35 years old, but you could see that she was troubled just by her face. So I went up to her and said, would you like to go in and visit Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament? She said, she shook her head, yes. So I walked her over there and she stopped and I said, you want to, she just looked at me and says, no, I'll just want to stand here. So I said, okay, I went to lunch. She had a bunch of packages in her, her in her bag, clothing. Well, when I came back, I noticed there was an envelope near our church. looked like someone threw it down on the ground. And it was from the hospital that this woman was at. She, it just came out from a mental institution. She had problems. And by golly, when you come back, I'll tell you what happened to her. Because again, we need charity for people like that, not condemning them, seeing what we can do to help people that have needs. You're listening to The Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. I want to thank you for listening. I hope you're refreshing your memory about your Catholic faith. Stay with us. Be right back after a quick break. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Wow. While I'm on this break, I just noticed the news. 14 children, one teacher were killed in a shooting in Texas. And the 18-year-old young man, oh my gosh, was also killed, a suspect. And why do I say this? See, it comes back to what I just said earlier about killing unborn babies. This is something that makes sense. If you can kill them in the womb, why can't you kill them outside the womb? I was telling the story about being charitable. Why do we have to reach out to people? And I gave you the story about being here at the chapel. We get a lot of people who, you know, come out of the hospital if they're mentally ill or whatever their challenges, they come over to our church, which is in walking distance. And uh, I offered to give the girl an opportunity to visit Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. Well, by golly, um, she didn't, she just stood there. And so I said, okay, I'll eat my lunch and then come back. And I noticed she's got some paperwork right where she was standing on the ground, and it's from the hospital. She needs to go get her medication and and all that paperwork, so she must have got flustered. Uh, The bag that she was holding with her clothes in it, she just dropped here at the church. So I thought, well, if she's coming back, we'll, we'll put it all together for her and leave it right where she put it in the back of our gate so it's protected. So I'm hoping she'll come back. And we'll try and reach out. But we all prayed, and several of us said, well, we'll be open if we see a young woman with the description I gave. We need to help her. But you see, this is an attitude of gratitude that we're all sick. I don't care. Any of us, every single one of us needed help from somebody. 
So I think it's a sin of omission by not helping her. Yeah. That God put her in our way and right in our way, so we got to help her. So this is a paragraph 2094, 2094, talking about one way of ways that we can sin against God's love in various ways. Ingratitude fails or refuses to acknowledge divine charity and return him love for love. Number three, lukewarmness is a hesitation or negligence of responding to divine love. It can also imply refusal to give oneself over to the promptings of charity. See, we can say, hey, that person's just going to spend the money on drugs. I'm not going to give her a 20 spot. That's my money. You know what? At your exit interview, think about this. God's not going to say, hey, Terry, why'd you give that person that money? He went and bought beer. No, he's going to say, you saw the person in need. You know, maybe you could have gotten him a lunch or something. Yeah, that's a good idea. But I don't think you're going to be condemned for being charitable. All right. Number uh, 2303, hatred of God comes from pride. We said that before the break. It's contrary to love of God whose goodness is denied and whom it presumes to curse as the one who forbids sin and inflicts punishment. I'll never forget Father Charles Murr telling me a story about a general. And this general was involved in killing Catholic priests during the crusade movement, Crusade's movement in the 1920s and 30s. It was a revolution in Mexico. The Custeros were a group of Catholics who were fighting the government from taking their rights away. And now in 1979, this general now from, he was a Mason from Mexico, was dying in a hospital. And Father Charles Murr, being a Catholic priest, was called upon from this wonderful doctor who never charged people for his services and said, I have a man here who's in need of a Catholic priest. No other Catholic priest in Mexico would ever come to see him. So what happened? Father Murr gets called in, and then he finds out, oh, this is a guy who, who's been excommunicated from the church. He's um, dying. And uh, you meet the family. The, the mother has been uh, civilly married to him for 67 years. The 11 kids are in the waiting room praying their rosary for the conversion of their father. What? How did they become Catholic? Well, the mother just secretly baptized the kids and taught them the faith while he was a general. And this man was a bitter man about the Catholic faith. He hated Catholic priests even at the end. But here's a powerful witness to charity. Father Murr, knowing Fulton Sheen's stories, he said, well, I'm going to pray to Bishop Sheen and he'll help me get through this one. I'm a young priest. Let's see what I can do. So he brings our Lord in a uh, in, a, in a, a pick to uh, give this man Holy Communion, but he finds out that this man's never been Catholic. And so, wow, he's, so he walks into the room and this general says, get out, priest, get out of here, using all kinds of profanation names and cussing the priest out. So Father basically says, okay, 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 but before I go, you know, I'm a young priest, I've never seen anybody go to hell, they never taught me that in school, can I sit in that green chair and watch? And the general looks at him, oh, it's pain, painful. He says, oh, uh, get out, priest, I, you know, get out of here. You, you actually believe in that stuff? And Father Murr says, yes, I do. So then the man's about two and a half hours from dying because he's got gangrene going in his legs and he's going to move up to his heart. 
So Father Murr knows he's only got about two and a half hours to try and bring this soul back. So he meets with him and talks to him and builds a relationship with him. And even when he was screaming at Father, Father agreed. And he didn't know how to handle Father. He did the Fulton Sheen deal. And so finally, this man, believe it or not, is realizing he's dying. And Father Murr is going through an examination of conscience with him. Because he says, you can steal heaven, General. And you can tell the devil to go pound sand. What? I, I can do that? Yes! So he repents of all the things he did in his 90 years as a pagan. And they bring the family in because he wants to know, has he ever been baptized? And she said, I don't think so. So she, he says with the family around him, General, have you been baptized? No! Are you, would you like to be baptized? He shakes his head, yes. And father, right there in front of 11 children, adult children, the wife, you know, uh, civil wife for 68 years is there. He baptizes the general and then says, wait a minute. He, you know, does the confirmation. He gives him Holy Communion. And he says, wait a minute. Why don't you, why don't I witness your vows and get married in the church right now? Would you like that? Oh, yeah, we'd love it. So all the kids are crying, the wife's crying, and the general's there. And about 15 minutes before he passes, he makes his vows to his wife, and they get wedded in the church. He's, he's newly baptized, and this general stole heaven. Now that's what I call charity, right? So this is why it's so important that we pray for our priests. Now this weekend I'm going to be up in... Sacramento with 20,000 Catholics praying the rosary with Father Don Calloway on the 28th of May. And I am going to tell that story and many other stories of priests showing the act of charity to bring souls to heaven because their job is to get us to heaven. And we're going to give out Bishop Sheen's called and chosen, which is his priest retreat, absolutely free. Yeah, free. All they got to do is go to vmpr.org, but at the event, we're going to give cards out where they can do it right on their cell phone, and you can get a link to download Called and Chosen. It's about 10 hours of a priest retreat. In 1978, Bishop Sheen gave it, a year before he died, called Cora Cora. We called it Called and Chosen. This is going to help build up the future priests, the priests of our church in America and throughout the world. So we want thousands of these to get into priests' hands because I think they're going to get refocused on what's most important about their priesthood, the Mass, the sacraments, and getting souls to heaven. And I can't do it without you, our listener. So get the word out. Go on social media. Say, hey, everybody, Bishop Sheen's priest retreat's available to all of us. And not just to priests. I've listened to that retreat. Fantastic material. So I would encourage you to do it right now. Go to vmpr.org, download the um, the Called and Chosen Priest Retreat, give it to your local pastor as an act of charity, and put a little note that's saying you're thanking him for uh, his service to you and to the families, and that you really appreciate his sacrifice that he made to be another Christ. 
And so I want to encourage you to do that. And that's what I'm doing. To finish up the show, I want to talk about paragraph 2285 on scandal. Bishop Foley in 1997, he was a cardinal, Foley, said scandal is one of the biggest obstacles in evangelization. And what he says, because we had scandal in the church, let's be honest. Scandal takes on a particular gravity by reason of authority of those who cause it or the weakness of those who are scandalized. It prompted our Lord to utter this curse. And this is a curse you don't want to hear. Whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drawn into the depth of the sea. Scandal is grave when given by those who by nature are office are obliged to teach and educate others. Jesus reproaches the scribes and the Pharisees on this account. He likens them to wolves in sheep clothings. I only bring this up because that's what we're dealing with right now inside the church. Scandal, paragraph 2286 says, can be provoked by the laws of the institution, our fashion, our opinion. Therefore, they are guilty of scandal who establish laws or social structures leading to the decline of morals and the corruption of religious practice or to social conditions that intentionally or not make Christian conduct and the obedience to the commandments difficult and practically impossible. This is also true of business leaders who make rules encouraging fraud, teachers who provide that children be angry, or the manipulators of public opinion who turn always away from moral values. Anyone who uses their power at this disposal in such a way that leads others to do wrong becomes guilty yep, of scandal and they're responsible for the evil that he is directly or indirectly encouraged. Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to him by whom they have come. Hey, one hour with the Bible with the barbers, I'm done, but I'm glad I had this hour with you to teach you some fundamentals. Teach myself the fundamentals. I need to hear this over and over again. Why? Because we need to major on the fundamentals of the faith. That's a lifetime occupation. And here on the Bible, the barbers <coughs> and virgin most powerful, we strive to do that every show to help you fall deep in love with Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. Because we realize that life is short and that eternity is forever. And again, I want to thank you for joining us here at the Bible with the barbers and continue to read your Bible and have that biblical worldview that all of us are called to. Not a worldly view. A worldly view will send us to hell. A biblical view will give us to heaven. God loves you.